following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to learn about our podcast production services and view our full lineup of shows. Welcome to 10 for 2, the Camp Tell Knower podcast presented by Northern Lights. Now, here's your hosts, David Yaz and Camp Tell Knower director, Ephraim Udowitz. Oh, yes, Ephraim. To to paraphrase a popular quote from popular culture, summer is coming. <laughs> summer is coming. You I get thought you were right? with what we do in life echoes in eternity. Oh, damn it. Even better. Uh, <laughs> welcome to 10 for 2, the Camp Tell Knower podcast presented by Northern Lights Entertainment. We'll tell you a little bit, bit more about them later, but when you need a DJ and a sort of full party experience with the lights and the dancers and the whole deal, northernlightsentertainment.com. Bar mitzvahs are really any elegant extravaganza. Go to northernlightsentertainment.com. Check them out. They support this show, and we appreciate it. Ephraim, how are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. Awesome. And this is special, right? This, this is special. We don't want to malign any of the previous guests on <laughs> 10 for 2, the Camp Tell Noah podcast, but this one. We're talking Hall of Fame. We're talking we, Mount Rushmore. We told Obama he couldn't have this date because we already had. That's this one right. Going. I'm sorry, Mr. President, but we're booked because we have uh, the one, <laughs> the only uh, Sharon Fox Lasky in the studio. <laughs> we couldn't be happier. Thank you. Thank right. you. Thank you very much. And like, uh, there's no greater compliment in the camp world than legend. And I can't think like you created that status. Oh, I'm blushing here. Thank you, Ephraim. <laughs> oh, wait, you're talking about Sharon. Yes, okay. I agree. I agree. She did. Thank she, uh, youngest, uh, the f- you used to be nothing more than an answer to a trivia question. You were the, the first person to enter Camp Telnor in the counselor and training program. That is Am true. I right? You yeah. are correct. And I was going to ask you what year that was, but I don't want to. Let's not get into that. <laughs> uh, wait, can we go back? I don't think I knew that. You were the first. Yeah. Sure. The program was where you went through the camp program and at the 16, you became a CIT or a cat. The mm-hmm. cats were the girls. And at that particular time, Tevia did not have a CIT program. And so girls from, and I, I have to be honest, I don't know about the boys because it was only the girls that were coming from Tevia. So we, were, we had our boys and then some girls from Tevia. And I had been at another camp the year before. And although it was a very nice camp i did not enjoy myself and <laughs> she's so uh diplomatic she doesn't name and, camp. that's okay it happens and, um, she's diplomatic in experiencing her in, in describing her own experience and when telling you you have to go back to change your outfit mm-hmm. yeah. and my brother uh, was on the phone with me uh, trying to make me feel better and george heard him trying to make me feel better as i was crying on the other end oh. and he said that if there was room the next year maybe i could be there and there was room and so I came many years ago and joined a group of girls that had either been at Tevia or Telnoer and you happen to be in at that age where you were going into uh, the a, cat as a cat yeah. yeah I had been a CIT at that other camp for a month I had been a <laughs> CIT for two years at a YWCA and then I joined Camp Telnoer and very nervous I was in fact I cried the night before oh um, man really afraid that I was going to have another horrible situation. And I'll tell you what the counselors and the girls did that will always remain with me. There were 15 girls, including myself, and they left a middle bed empty. I came late because my father worked late. And so I came while everyone was at dinner. And the only bed that was left was one directly in the middle of the cabin. You mean in where an aisle normal, normally would be? Like, I don't know if I've oh, ever seen. No, no. You what know, do you mean? Like, like, in other words, there were seven beds on one side and eight on the other. And right. I had a middle bed. Oh, you know, they left it in the middle, not in the middle of the aisle. But right. Like, there were kids on both sides. On both sides, yeah, okay. So I could feel apart and not at the end. Oh, okay. So it was a nice thing. It was a really nice okay. thing. Yeah. I, I was, just jumped to the other conclusion. I did. I you did. did. I know. <laughs> well, you know, you, no, get, no, you no. get pranked sometimes at oh, camp. Oh, no, so. they were oh, wonderful. Oh, that's cool. And so right away you felt at home. That's Every, awesome. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's good you didn't, like, get totally soured on the camp experience because it's it's not as if you hated camp in general because, like, you had a bad experience at one camp. And then went to another camp and I think decided you liked that one because you stayed that one like for the rest of your life, basically. (laughs) That that is true. Yes. That is true. 
and like talk to us a little bit about your first experience of so, like meeting those kids, the activities. This was totally foreign to you. Yes. I knew uh, just a few of the girls. I'd gone to school with uh, one or two of them and or was a neighbor. Uh, one of the girls lived on the opposite street. And but I really didn't really know them. And even though my brother had been there, he didn't give me full information. <laughs> he mm. just told me how great it was. So I, it was a new CIT program for me, and it was, you know, we signed up for different classes, and we, we were the waiters and waitresses, and I loved everything. I, yeah. I loved working with the counselors. I truly enjoyed working with the kids. I wanted to be a teacher, so it was an incredible experience. And, and then you also had to take activities that you didn't think you'd teach, so I had to take athletics and learn how to teach athletics. And you went on to become <laughs> such an athlete, Sharon. It's amazing. <laughs> I was an archer. I did do. I <laughs> okay. Well, let me yeah. give credit where credit is due. You <laughs> liked archery. I, yeah, did archery. An alternate um, on the uh, 1980 <laughs> Ol- Olympic team, right? No, not. I did. At CIT, I was on the uh, archery team. We well, actually cool. went to Natacook and had an archery tournament. <laughs> and how did you do? I, I did okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, archery is one of those weird things that... <laughs> Like one percent or one percent of the population ever does archery anywhere other than camp. But when you're at camp, you do archery. It's just something you do. It's like, and thank God for uh, reasonable safety precautions because <laughs> under normal circumstances in a vacuum it might be like, sure, let's put nine and ten year old kids out there with these uh, aluminum tipped, uh, you know, arrows and just let them go crazy. Of course, we used to have riflery as well. So yeah, by, by the waterfront. Yes, of course, because that made total sense. <laughs> I feel like if we just keep talking, we're going to find out that Sharon was not only a participant, but also like the supervisor and counselor and instructor for every activity that we've ever had yes. at Camp Tildar. Oh my I, God. I we're not going to have time to Tell get us into when you them. used to be the instructor for underwater basket weaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did work in arts and crafts. I'm sure. Yep. Yeah. I did archery. I did theater. I did the very one of the years that they did the Jewish Arts Festival. There was really no one to do it, so I I volunteered and said, "Okay, I'll help out there." You were a, <laughs> a frequent star. I might as well break out my first Sharon Fox uh, story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call you Sharon Fox That's if you okay. don't if you don't mind. I know you've been married for many years now, but you'll always be Sharon Fox to me. But one of my memories, and I don't know, do you still do? Have you broken out? I'm so pretty in recent summers or no? She hasn't. Good. Okay, I get to tell the story. She's just in many people think of Sharon as the serious girls head counselor for so many years, but she has such an awesome funny side. If you really know her, you'd know this. But what you might not have known was she got up on stage and did one of the funniest, goofiest things you've ever seen. And the first time I saw it, I don't know if it's the first time you ever did it, but it was with, uh Dave Milstein, Milstone, Milstein, oh, what was his name? You yeah, remember Dave? D- D- yeah, he was the other uh, CIT counselor. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he would get up at the Council Talent Show as like a narrator for Sharon. And Sharon would uh, don the stage wearing some kind of a tutu kind of thing, like a ballerina kind of thing. And so Dave would do a dramatic reading. And the idea was Sharon would do interpretive dance. I've got this right so far, right? <laughs> I don't care if you don't remember because I do. It was hilarious. This is making a comeback for sure. Oh, Ephraim, you have to make it. It was. It brought the house down every time she did it. In I don't know if there was more to it. I remember two sections of it. This is weird. This was the first time I saw this. Was you'll forgive me, Sharon. Uh, 1981. That was the first. That was when I, I first attended camp, and it was your first year as assistant girls head counsel, uh, counselor under the tutelage of oh. Shirley, who mm-hmm. was uh, the girls head counselor at the time. And so you would come out, and Dave Milstein would say a dramatic reading, and he'd, and he'd ham it up, and he'd say, I feel pretty. He's reading the, the lyrics to the song, <laughs> I Feel Pretty, which if, if you ever read them, they're kind of funny or ironic or something, because he would say, I, I feel pretty, oh, so pretty, and Sharon would do this little, like, what do you call this, a plie or something, mm-hmm. like some kind of ballerina, I feel pretty and witty and gay, and, and that's the line of the song, and Sharon just kind of looks quizzically into the audience, and uh, can I tell you, it killed, and then it was Rubber Ducky, it was the, then the part mm-hmm. two, or maybe part one, I don't remember what order, mm-hmm. Rubber Ducky, you're so pretty. And he's doing this dramatic reading of Rubber Ducky, and Sharon is acting it out. I'm sorry, I'm Sharon. We're still doing Rubber Ducky. There are kids who only know Rubber Ducky through you. Oh, so you still do Rubber Ducky? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. All right. So Mm -hmm. Rubber Ducky, and when I squeeze you, you make noise, and just 
uh, the timing. You guys could have been George Burns and Gracie Allen for all yeah. I was concerned. Now what I do, I actually sing the song Robert right Ducky. In those do you really? years, in those years, I did the interpretive. Bring back the interpretive dance version. <laughs> anyway, with the raincoat. Yeah, uh, right. Raincoat. What's right. amazing about Sharon's comedic talent is she's both the pen and the teller. She like <laughs> she does both. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I-, I loved it, and, and it's one of those things where you would have a hard time explaining to people who didn't go to camp yeah. that something like that was so awesome. And you'd have a hard time explaining to them where you might be sitting around like in February and people are like, what are you thinking about? And I'd say like, I'm trying to think about what I'm going to do for the talent show. <laughs> it's like, what? I was, like, I was once a Chiquita Banana. That was oh, when they had okay. the Chiquita Banana song guy came out. Dressed in uh, as a Chiquita Banana. Yeah, try to, yeah. Yeah. You had to, you had to, it was hard to fashion. I remember I made a Batman costume one year because Andy Slifka wanted to be Robin and I was Batman. There was like a lot of like construction paper and barring people's uh, blue shirts and things like that. Because you got to do costumes at camp, but sometimes you got to improvise. No, you got to. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Were there ever, like sometimes geniuses, nobody shoots a thousand percent. Were there ever uh, costumes that just uh, didn't land? For me? Performances. Or performances, performances. What's the Sharon Lasky, Sharon Fox Lasky blooper reel look like? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) there probably are several. I tried to do baton twirling. Uh, That was not a big success. I enjoyed it, but I don't think it went over quite. (laughs) I also did a tap dance with a boa, a red boa. And so, (laughs) and that one, I actually had a migraine and they thought I wasn't going to show up, but all of a sudden I like jumped you know, and, and, and got everything together. And I did perform with this migraine with a red boa. And I'm not sure if I did the right steps of anything, but luckily it was my own little solo. So no no one perhaps knew I was making it up as I went along. <laughs> you talk about the, the blooper reel, Ephraim. I can remember a blooper that was through no fault of Sharon's, but it was a, a trip day sort of gone awry and uh well I, I actually this might be i might be conflating two different memories there was one trip day where we went to the beach where we got out there and within five minutes it was like a monsoon and like kids are panicking and it was like a scene out of a was hitchcock that a, was that movie a hampton? Hampton i think beach. it was hampton beach yeah it was a nightmare and then yeah and then there was it was it she was has like, this awesome laugh sorry like, oh yeah when, when things are funny and then when there's things that are funny and traumatic at the same time and yeah. she just did that when she was like yeah that was great well, you, oh no, my you, god i still you, have nightmares no i remember looking in you in the eye because i was a counselor at the time looking you in the eyes as we were bolting for the bus and I think you were smiling at me as if to say, this can't get any worse. We might as well laugh. Yeah, because it was – I remember I had bunk one at the time, and they all put their stuff down, and it's their first time at the beach as campers, and they had their towels and whatever they had, their little stuff, and then they kind of wandered off towards the beach, and then started raining. They ran back. I had gathered their stuff up kind of frantically. But these three kids ran up to me. They're like, what about our stuff? What about our stuff? And I said, I got it. I got it. Just get to the bus. Get to the bus. Like, it was torrential downpours. The other trip I remember, which I think you may remember, is we had, for some reason, taken some circuitous route to Agunquit Beach, maybe, or something, which, and it was one of these, you could tell it seemed like a good idea at the time. We had to traverse, like people had people had to walk across, oh, you remember this? Oh my, I tell that story all the time. We had to like wade through the water. These are people yes. that didn't necessarily want to go swimming, had to like, had to, like <laughs> traverse this canal or something, yes, right? That, yes. If you pass level three, come this way. <laughs> yeah, it no. Was, it was because where the buses could park, they couldn't come and pick oh. us up. And that was a Larry story. Right. And so we took, it was low tide at the time, so we thought we would cross at the Agunquit Beach to get toward the side where that little lighthouse is and, and sort of go in that direction, except the tide was coming in and kids were like carrying their stuff above yeah. their heads. <laughs> it was, it was, it was like, horrifying. It was like, the, yeah, the, the Hebrews <laughs> making their way through the desert. Yeah, and, and Larry Robinson playing the role as uh, Charlton Heston as Moses, Moses attempting to part the seas unsuccessfully. It, it was yeah. really funny. I mean, it, it really was, was, it was not hysteric. as wild as it seemed but it was it was it one was of those wild. right it's one of those well it's not that deep right it's not that all of a sudden people are carrying like backpacks and things above their heads yeah. full of lobster rolls yeah well probably <laughs> yeah so. i do remember that Very that would be fairly. against the rules of camp tell no that's right, that's I, right. Never, I never did that sharon is the ultimate she's like our terminator right like she's the mm-hmm. ultimate rule enforcer Mm-hmm. She like that's one of the best things is like if she can see things a mile down like she knows we know this. she and this is what I love because yeah as you and I are probably very similar in this way like mm-hmm. she knows 
before we even get the idea in our brain yep. that we're going to do something. Do something like, wrong. I, I yes. would do that. Yes. She'll, she'll just give us a look. Like, I, I would do that <laughs> if I were you. I wonder if you got that from Larry Robinson, a little bit of that rubbed off on you. Because when the two of you were in power together, it was, it was uh, <laughs> a dynamic duo that you couldn't. But in a brief note of seriousness here, it, to me, that, that's leadership. Because that because Sharon is your friend and can be the enforcer at the same time. And Larry was the same way. We loved him to death. And he would goof around with us and joke around with us. But then as soon as his expression changed to that serious face, and Sharon has the same thing, we'd be like, okay. Did you see the way Larry just looked at us? Stop it. Just see, yeah. Sharon's looking at us. Stop it. And you would go along with that because we respected you and, lo- and, and loved you. Thank Not you. Uh, to get too melodramatic. So uh, no, and I think early nice. in the podcast. Respect and love is like when I started. So this is my sixth summer at camp. Oh, you're getting old, man. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this job will do that to you. Yeah. Yeah. How many summers did you, were you at Telnar? Uh, ten altogether, but only three as a camper. One as a CIT, six as a counselor. Okay, so you got a ten-year mug. Yes, I, if not, I'll send finally you one. <laughs> right? I started late. I, I I didn't start until I was like bunk four. I remember, like, when like I first just, started, yeah. like the first thing that I I remember so vividly. I, it was my first day. I had this is my literally my dream job. I was like, I want to be camp director. Yeah. I walk in my first day. And the only things that are on my desk, I don't have a computer, I don't have a phone, I don't have an instruction manual, I don't have anything. There's two things on my desk. The first is about 8,000 keys that are not labeled. <laughs> and I have no oh idea what Lord. any of them is. And then the other one... That's because uh, we is, have a different maintenance person every year. They just throw them all down and say, I'm out of here. Go ahead. And then the other one is just a little sticky note that says, call Sharon. <laughs> Uh, you should have saved that. Well, don't worry. You'll get another, a new one next summer. But uh, no, I, I think the, but that the, the reason for that is everyone sort of knew coming into the community, if you want to know anything about Telnor, if you really want to understand not only the history, but really the essence of what our camp is all about, like you can't learn that from anyone other than the Jedi Master. And you, you got to call Sharon. That's right. That's and right. she knows it all. And, and so Sharon, so, so not everybody knows this, but this summer will be your 49th? It's the 49th. Oh 49th. My God. 49 summers. Oh, my God. Start planning right now for that party next <laughs> year. Next year. Eight gazillion canteens that she's witnessed. <laughs> oh, yeah. how, how many thousands and thousands of letter writings? So you've seen so much over the years. Uh, I'm sure you get asked this from non-Telnor people, but, like, why keep going back? Like, what is it about camp that you love so <laughs> the hell much? is wrong with you? For us, we're like, why yeah. would you do anything else? Like, right. but, but for non-camp people, I know I get that question all the time. Like, what are you doing? So how do you answer that? What do you tell people that makes... Okay, so I was an education major, and I was a theater major. Oh. I went to Boston College. Oh. Go Eagles. And uh, I told you how I felt a part of the camp just because of the consideration of the counselors and the campers, which was amazing. And everything you spoke about earlier when you know you were, you were speaking with Jonathan and just the, the friendships that you make and how, how close people become and sure. those years we didn't have the internet and not really the t- that we had telephone but we didn't really use it like kids use things today and so the only we would wait all year to get back with our friends right. so we'd spend the first like few nights just talking and talking and talking but then interesting and interested in becoming a teacher it gave me an opportunity to see kids outside of a classroom setting and that was an incredible experience to see how they grow and to see uh, how people can be a, a positive influence on them and things that bother them and things that make them the whole person and not just somebody sitting in a chair from eight o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the afternoon it also allowed me to do the theater and to have kids work together for a common goal. And I brought all that training that I did at camp to my classroom experiences. And every year I did something different. Every year I had a different age group. Every year it was Mm. a different group of kids. Every year it was perhaps a different department that I worked in. And so it allowed me to just be a part of changes. So even though I was in the same place, I was doing different things and had different kids. So it was a totally different experience. Do you you have a favorite group so kids at camp are aged i guess about nine or probably eight or nine are the youngest 
up into and then you got the the counselors in their teens and certain counselors who need to get a life like me stayed until we were 22. <laughs> but do you have a, do you have a favorite group that you liked working with? I have to be really honest. Each group and I used to say this to the counselors, each group has their own very special qualities and so I really don't. The younger ones have such a they're wide-eyed and so excited about things. And the middle-aged group, the, the SOFIM, SOFOT, just need a, a lot of guidance, even though you have to do it in a special way because they're too cool to right. really want that help. And the older ones, they, they want your friendship and your guidance on things. And then the CITs were just an amazing, it's just an amazing experience to help lead that group uh, to be maybe counselors in the future. And then, of course, just working with the counselors and guiding them to be the best that they can be and now working with the support staff and hoping that they feel a a part of this wonderful community that we have. I know what you mean because my preference as to what kind of – what age kids I worked with just at camp – changed over the I mean as a counselor for six years so I I worked with the the bunk one up through CITs I remember like geez I keep bringing up I must have a Larry Robinson complex (laughs) Larry wherever you are I hope you're looking down and giving me that look you used to give me but uh, he used to say he loved working with the Bogrimbo growth the oldest uh, kids that's the group that he loved and when I first became a counselor, I heard him say that, and I said, "Nah, you can have those guys. I love working with the little kids because they're they're like putty in your hands, and they listen to everything you say, and they're cute, and they're just so much fun." But then, as the years went on, I saw what he meant because when the kids get older, they just they blossom, and you can see them becoming the people that they're going to become. Because a lot of times, when a kid is nine or ten, you can see he's cute, or that that kid has guts, or that kid's cool, but you, that's still not the person they're going to be. And, uh, of course, we know now uh, – well, uh, Fryman, I'll leave you out. Sharon and I, being of a certain age, we know that you're a hell of a lot different in your 40s than you are in your 20s and your 50s than you are – the whole deal. But that little microcosm at camp, you can see. And when they get to be the teenagers, you start to see this maturity. And sometimes you can give them like a little wink and a nod that you can't give to a little right. kid because right. it's something that the little kid wouldn't right. understand. But it really is – Fun to see all the different ages. Didn't you come back, though, one time, and then after yeah. you came back and dealt with the OLM? Uh, oh, good memory, Sharon. Yeah, yeah. molded. Yeah. Yeah. He, he molded. Yeah. 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 File, this, file this under, and uh, for him, I'll throw a, a Ron Burgundy reference uh, your way, because I know you'll appreciate it. As In his words, I regret this decision immediately. I came, <laughs> came back as a 22-year-old, which in counselor years is, is ancient. Yes, we have the Ron Burgundy uh, bobblehead. He's nodding right now. He's saying, I know what you mean, Dave. Yeah, good story. Compelling and rich. Uh, he, I came back when I was 22 after, after taking a year, quote-unquote, off, thinking I had retired. And thought it would be fun to take bunk one. And it was not as much fun as I remembered it when I was like a, a fully energetic 16 and a half year old kid. Yeah, they they require a lot of attention, I realized. <laughs> and like one kid was wetting the bed and I'm like, what's this? Come on. Anyway, mm-hmm. good memory show. You ready for this segue? Yes. All right. So speaking of us getting older, right? Like Sharon, mm-hmm. like that's one of the coolest things is like over 49 years, you've seen everyone else at camp grow and get older right? As you've watched them, right? So I got younger. You got younger, which is like amazing. (laughs) She doesn't look any older, by the way. She really doesn't. Curse you, you, Sharon. If you look at the yearbook photos, it's Yeah, no, you don't look any older. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. Like some people, like I've met them like last year and then they come back to camp like just like 12 months later and they look at me and they're like, who are you? <laughs> it's like, Jesus. It's like you look at uh, the president in year one and year four and it's aged, yes. 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 And they're like, oh, Sharon, yeah. you look great. Yeah, you look great. But you're one of the few people who were at camp when we started, both when Yaz started and when I started. Yeah. You were there. What were your first impressions of us? And, <laughs> oh, no. And then sort of, can you talk a little bit about like the experience? Like, It's so cool. You get a chance to see so many people like I, you and I have had so many conversations. You are such a tremendous support for me and still are about like how to run camp and the things that tell Noah needs and what we can do to help make it the best that it can be. And we're there for some of my early wonderful mistakes and you've gotten a chance to see people figure it out. So talk to us a little bit about like meeting people for the first time and uh, the two of us and also watching that wow. progression and how we grow. Wow. Okay. 
<laughs> well, first of all, I had people for me um, that guided me. And so I, I came with George and Norma and Shirley, who, who taught me so much. And it was the whole idea of letting a person experience and grow and guide and give positive feedback and constructive comments as well. And to also understand that, that a person may not immediately accept your, your comments, and that's okay too, because the person is figuring it out for himself or herself. How I remember Me, David Dave, first, yeah. I do remember you always willing to help out, always taking the microphone, <laughs> um, uh, but coming up with really wonderful ideas that, that really stayed at camp for a long time. Uh, the Green Monster and things of that sort. Wow, she um, remembers the Green yeah, Monster. Yeah, <laughs> if she yeah, talks yeah. about Running Man, then yeah. we're done. Yeah, well, running, uh, running Man. Yeah, all those ideas and the how they grew and how they be, they're they still a part of, of camp, and they've changed along the way. But the the basis is there, and I think the Green Monster is no longer there, but right. I remember it. But you were willing to, to take the step and willing to come up with ideas and make them a reality. That's a great way to be remembered. Thank you. I'll take that all day long, just <laughs> uh, quickly. And then hopefully she remembers something just as nice about you, Ephraim. But, uh, She's stalling. We have, we have, so uh, Camp Tonor alum uh, Eddie Nathanson, happens to be on the TV screen we're looking at right now because here at Pod 617, we produce this podcast, Are You Not Entertained? Very funny, excellent podcast. Check it out, pod617.com. Okay, end of plug. But he and I collaborated on launch of Green Monster, which was in what we used to call the corral, which kind of is no more, right? It's that you don't have a corral anymore, right? No, it used to be. <laughs> it's right across from the new the dining hall, not the new dining hall, the dining hall. The, dining, the current dining hall. That little the, hilly the, thing. The dining hall of the moment. Yeah, there's a little hill thing and it it was just big enough that you could play certain things there, like the Olimolot would play pillow polo. This is the wiffle ball. Right, wiffle ball. So I had the idea. I went to, I think Marty Riadro was the director at the time, and he was open-minded enough to say, sure, let's get some skimpy plywood and paint it green and just kind of <laughs> run, a through, run a few nails through it and nail it to this corral. It was called the corral because it was a, it was like a picket, what do you call that? A picket fence, I yeah, guess, right? Yeah, it was a, a fence. It was yep. a fence. And so the kids could play wiffle ball and hit the ball. But the way we broke it was I went, it, of course, everything in camp was about the theatrics of it. So after a meal one day, I went up to the microphone and I said, we're not going to play wiffle ball in the corral anymore. We're going to find other places to do it. I hope no one misses a corral. It's just a little piece of land there. We don't really need it anyway. And I walked away. I sort of furtively handed the microphone to Ed Nathanson, and I walked away like I was walking back to my table. And Eddie whispers into the mic, if you build it, they will come. Right? <laughs> and if you build it. So we played up the whole Field of Dreams thing, and I, and I ran back to the mic. I said, yes, we'll build a wall. We'll build a wall. And people seem to like that. Thank you. So End the bottom line is you're Kevin Costner. Great story. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, let there be no mistake. The Wheaties box also. Oh, Sharon, she's so sweet. She remembers these things. I do. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I do. The Wheaties box is not necessarily my idea. Somebody told me that back in the day they used to do, if you won like some kind of MVP award, they would give you a Wheaties box. And so I revived that and did Star of the Day and tried to pick, usually with some kid who wasn't like known as a star and just some counselor came up to me and said, this kid was awesome at kickball or something. And we would... Give him a Wheaties box with his name on it, his or her name on it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Bring that one back. I'd like to. That's one, that one's for free, Ephraim. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now Ephraim. Now Ephraim. Yeah. All right, Ephraim. You were always, at the beginning, willing to l- listen and just try things your own way and willing to I- accept the way it turns out. Most of the time, I think it was really successful. But you spent a lot of time, or you spent a lot of time thinking about it and asking questions and taking notes and valuing people's opinion and making camp the best it can be. You really work to, you have visions that become reality, and they're all inside your head. And you that you may not express them at, at a, a meeting, but all of a sudden you come back in the summer and it's it looks beautiful and all the shrubs are gone and the, there are chairs to sit down and it's truly um, you see the big picture and you work at it and along the way you're you ask questions and you're not afraid if something doesn't work out the way you thought 
you, you try it anyways, and I think that's a wonderful quality. That's a good one. Thank Mine you. was a little better, but that was good. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. No, I, I, but, and I appreciate that. And actually, like, I was thinking about it, like, so, like, I think about my first summer, and I know so much more now than I did then. I just, I, there's no training for this. No. And um, I, right. I look back on that, and I made so many mistakes, and there's so many things that I wish I had done better, and Sharon really carried us for that summer. But like <laughs> you, over 49 years, you've gotten a chance to see so many people. And I was thinking about it, like from my own experience, I was like, as a director, that old kid who was like a little homesick and didn't really know what he was doing and didn't totally understand camp. And now six years later, I feel much more comfortable at camp. I think I have a much better, better handle on things and your ability to see people and say, Hey, hey, let's just be patient with them because that's what camp is, mm-hmm. right? Like nobody's perfect. And certainly in camp, like we're still being formed. And your commitment to helping people be their best selves and sit with them through that journey and say, it, it, it might get a little weird or it might be not so pretty right now, but like, hey, right. don't worry. Like the teenage years, <laughs> tough. Puberty is weird, but don't oh, worry. Yeah. We'll stick through this and, and it, you'll be amazing. And I think that there are so many campers, counselors, staff who've experienced that with you. And I, I think that's awesome. You, you also bring out people though to share their feelings. Like if, if I saw something that maybe I didn't think was the greatest and I did, wouldn't say anything, you sort of caught the expression. Sorry, oh, fix your chance. Okay. You would catch an expression and ask that next question, which I think is also a, a great insight mm, that you, you have. Thank you. Well, Sharon, no, we, again, Dave and I are so excited that you're here and getting a chance to share your stories. And t- the theme of the show that we brought you in for is really talking about this idea of like innovation and change and innovation and tradition. And the idea that like camp is a, an entity and a community and a culture that in some ways we try to keep sacred and keep uh, intact. And in other ways is constantly evolving and every year is different and there's new people. And so when we think about that sort of paradigm of uh, tradition versus innovation in camp, like w- in your 49 years, how has that played out? And what do you think about when it comes to camp and those? T- okay. So the traditions and things of that sort. Yeah. Um, like what stayed the same and then maybe what, I guess really what, ha- what so, hasn't. Yeah. yeah uh, as silly as it sounds, the morning just procedure of going to the flagpole is truly an incredible tradition. Did she say flagpole? I... <laughs> no, we'll get to that later. Sorry. <laughs> um, and what's interesting is I met a, a man, actually it was at a Red Sox game many years ago, but he had been a camper, and he talked about the flagpole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon, who's the podcaster here? <laughs> Okay. And I guess one of the things that he had to do as a Bogrim is they built a fence. Actually, I don't know what exactly they did. They built some sort of fence around the flagpole. But he was very proud of that. For me, the flagpole is just a, 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 a time when you sort of see everybody together. It's the beginning of the day. It's the beginning of a new day. So whatever happened yesterday, it doesn't matter. Today's a new day, and mm-hmm. it's going to be better, or each day is better and better. And the reason I bring that up is that, that we had the thought of maybe changing the location of where Flagpole would really? be. And so it was going to be at that corral area because oh. then we just sort of go from that area right into the dining hall. The majority of the people really disliked it. I think mm. that's a nice word. Um, and, and the thing that... Before, added- <laughs> I get, before I get emails yelling at me, that, that was not my idea. No, no, this happened. No, no, this was way back. And what they did to add to everything was a telescopic flagpole. So the whole Mm. tradition of having the girls get together and they go as a cabin and they raise the flag. Someone gets to be the one to do the flag, which is always like a big honor and a treat for the kids. Love it. They loved it. Well, this was really difficult because you actually had to raise the flagpole. Oh, jeez. And so it was really unwieldy and the kids would 
began to just hide the flagpole. And so we had to bring back the flagpole to the oh, center. Oh, so of the this camp. actually happened? Oh, it did really happen, yes. Oh, and I wasn't so, there. So it was, it was between me and you, if I understand <laughs> what it was. Yeah, yeah that's it, weird. So yeah. we're in that massive gap yeah, in it was, history. Yeah, wow. and so it didn't last. A flagpole was hidden in the bushes. It's actually oh, sort God. of funny. But it was the that's whole amazing. idea of having the tradition of having everyone meet at that flagpole. And then the walk down the, the right. road was a thing, too. Right. But you're right. That whole, yep, the whole morning. that's a great choice, Sharon. It's a great answer because it's it because it something about camp is kind of one for all and all for one. And if you're a tell no person, you're a tell no person. If you see even I see this happen sometimes. Even kids who they're little, like it's a ten year old spotting a thirteen year old at the mall and saying, "Oh, he goes to camp with me. I go to camp with that kid." Because you're there on the same. Uh, terrain on the same planet and at the flagpole everybody is there it's like with extremely few exceptions no one it's not like school where you're absent or you're at the doctors that day you're not there you're all there (laughs) uh, stacy silver had a funny line one year i'll never forget it it's like we were sitting around and she said i haven't seen jeff tarmy today i think he's absent and it's like no one's no one's absent from camp you're oh you might be in the infirmary for a little while but you're always there and that that yep. that's great i'm glad so, you i'm glad you didn't uh, schlep the flagpole over to yeah the no so that sort of stayed this it, it tried to change but it was too important to keep so that's a, a tradition and we've done other things too that there are little changes. People love the waterfront and the fact that now there are those swings. It just makes the wanting to be at the waterfront so, it's like warm. Not What's only the swings? I don't know what the swings is. There, there, it's Swing benches. Yeah, swing benches. Oh, okay. And after dinner when they have, oh, this is the one that if you look on Facebook, there's always a conversation. Did they call it bunk activity or, or free play? But during that time after. The answer after, is bunk activity. Right. Is it not? What do you call it now? I, I'm looking at a front. <laughs> it's a podcast. I call talk. it both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, when people say, well, it used to be bunk activity because kids used to do things as a bunk, but now not so much. But, oh, see that? Yeah, yeah. And that breeds confusion. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. bunk night is something different. Ah, bunk, definitely. Right. Bunk night is when you choose as a bunk what to do for the Correct. evening activity. Wow. It, it, I guess I can see how it could get confusing. Yeah, confusing. <laughs> so during that time when you walk around the camp just to see how everyone's doing, you can find groups of kids just all by those benches and that's i think a really i'll call it a tradition you know because it's a really nice place for kids to go and so that's like something new that has become sort of in the last few years that we've had it you can that's a great answer but if ryan maybe there was a better word than innovation because i don't know if a bench is an innovation (laughs) or a swing or enhancement enhancement a change yes it was was nice other traditions just sure, some we of the, want more. Just yeah. some of the some of the activities and some of the evening programs, and we've already mentioned, mentioned um, yeah. the ones that just really sort of get everyone excited. Just the talking about Running Man. It, it just, <laughs> and, wow, uh, my head's getting really you, big. And if you haven't seen it, you should come back to see. What I should done because it's it truly is a little bit more modern and. They've taken a great activity and made it even. And yeah. video is used, right? Yes. Video is used. Okay. So, See, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is true innovation. I imagine because at the time, so for those that don't know, and this it's a camp tradition. It's not the oldest camp tradition, of course, because we started this in the mid '80s. But inspired by the movie The Running Man, we had kids pretending to be runners and counselors pretending to be uh, the bad guys chasing them, the stalkers in the <laughs> movies. They're called, uh, we need a new name for that. But the whole thing was pre-taped and we sort of duped the kids into thinking that the kids in question were actually running around camp live and were watching them on video, which probably wouldn't even been technologically possible, but we taped it at old school videotape and played it. So now I imagine it's evolved into something kind of different. Yeah, now it's like uh, five or six different little tiny clips that kind of all connect to one another and each clip has a little bit of like a fight scene and the rest of the bunks uh, have to wage bets on who's going to win the fight scene. And they get, they gain points throughout the uh, evening activity. And then there's sort of some weird, like the, the, the plot line makes no sense. The backstory (laughs) that there's always some like weird, evil, maniacal, like uh, (laughs) whatever, but uh, the kids, they absolutely love it. They, it's, it's pretty awesome. But that's cool. That's the creativity of the kids Mm -hmm. combined with excitement of the night and all that. I'll tell you a quick, funny story about running man. So we, 
we decide the, the first couple of years we did it, we wanted actually, you know what? I think I only did it one year, and then others picked it up after I left camp. But we wanted to, as I mentioned, shoot the videotape in secrecy to to kind of fool the kids as to when it was actually happening. And so the counselors, the, the bad guys, they had characters. And so you'll remember Steve Schwartz, uh, Sharon, who was known for being a super guy and being uh, a little wild and for having uh, red hair and a face covered in red freckles. And he was called every red nickname in the book. Anyway, so when it came time to pick a, a bad guy called Fireball, of course, it had to be Steve Schwartz. So Steve Schwartz, already red enough, like paints his face in red makeup and... Some one of the campers who I guess I won't. We went to the most sort of menacing camper and sort of ne'er do well camper we could find and asked him if he knew how to build a flamethrower. Uh, good for us, lucky for us, he did. He knew exactly how to build one out of like a can of Sterno and like uh, some kind of spray bottle. And so we had ourselves a, a, an actual flamethrower. And uh, you remember this, right, Sharon? It, because and so. And so we decide we're going to wake up poor Matt Silk, who's a camper in bunk eight, who's playing the role of the camper running for his life. We wake him up at 6 a.m. We bring him out to the the Big Diamond, and we're shooting this scene where Schwartzy is taking this flamethrower and shouting to the heavens, Aah! and I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to – of course, he's not really going to kill him. But, and, and there's Matt Silk with the softball bat. It, he eventually uh, mock uh, beats Steve to death. Again, all fake, all fun, but – as we're shooting this, camp director at the time, Marty Weadro, and George Marcus, the icon, the scariest uh, kingpin of them all when it comes to Camp Telnor, they come on their morning jog, they jog up, <laughs> and there's a counselor like with his shirt off and red face and screaming with a flamethrower and a kid running for his life. And, and so I thought George was going to drop dead, and uh, somehow Marty either had a clue as to what was going on and George t- t- turned to George and said, Oh, yeah, George, this is for an evening activity. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And somehow George bought this, and we, we walked away. Anyways, he yeah, he yeah, talk about kind of silly things you did. He brought that. He actually brought that flamethrower into the old uh, mess hall to promote the event. Probably wasn't the best idea. But nothing – the mess hall did not burn down at that point. It lasted several years afterwards. This is the patience that I was talking about before about Sharon. Sharon knew that, and she was like, no, Yaz, he'll be fine. It'll be fine. Just- it was kind of a long way to tell that story. Sorry. It's okay. I get on a roll. <laughs> Sharon, okay. we want to play a, a little game uh, that we do. Uh, we call it flagpole, okay. which is the joke the before. The aforementioned flagpole. Should we do it? We should do it. Let's do it. So we're going to fire a bunch of questions at you as the, okay. as the bugle plays, which, as we know, doesn't actually happen at Tunnel, only in spirit. And there are no right answers. And Ephraim, would you like to begin? Or All right, answer? here we go. Yep. So these are quick uh, quick answers. Your favorite meal at camp? It used to be peanut butter and marshmallow fluff. Ooh, fluffernutter. It's a classic. That is, She is not pro that innovation. Now it's we're al- nut free al- camp now. almond butter. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, I stand with you, uh, Sharon. I remember the, fondly the days of peanut butter. Uh, how about this one? Uh, most memorable or colorful person who worked either in maintenance or in the kitchen? Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, I can, I can remember what he looks like. I'm having a hard time with his name. He was a big guy. Uh, uh, Paul. Marie, Paul, Paul yeah. Marino. Yes, that's him. Better known as, so uh, better known as a name usually associated with one of our presidents, who was uh, a general, no, I'm not giving good hints. Ulysses, he was known yeah, as Ulysses. Ulysses that right? is true. Yep, yep. What do Ulysses. you remember? What do you remember about Ulysses? He actually sang well. He did. Good memory on that one. Yeah, yep. yeah. Paul Marino was uh, sort of an eccentric guy who looked like Ulysses S. Grant, big. which he was is a big why, guy. yeah, why I think we called him that. But then he had this comedy bit he did a talent show where he would yep. sing opera and make jokes and stuff and. Uh, yeah, you, were, you either loved him or you were scared to death of him. Yeah, a la opera man. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's sort of like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he would go la la la, and then he would make little comments and sing, and it was weird, but it was funny. Mm-hmm. Your favorite non-running man evening activity. <laughs> I I love all the plays. That's a good answer. Do you have a favorite from uh, your forty-nine year repertoire? Oh my goodness! I did a show called Cowboy on the Moon. And I have to say, I've never really heard, never really had heard of the play at all. 
Um, that was a Broadway play. That makes three of us. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it was. But you know what? We had, I think it was Peter Fishman. Oh. He was six. Sure. And he was really, he was the youngest camper. And I just remember I had to get a small little T-shirt for him because he was really little. Yeah. And I just remember him singing Cowboy on the Moon and his, and he was like stretching his neck out so he could really sing it loud. And it was just the, the, the neatest. It was just the kids did such a good job. Good, good memory there. I yeah, I remember Peter Fishman was such a CTN standby that when I showed up, age twelve, my first year at camp, he was a year younger than me. He was already in the five year club. I'm like, who <laughs> is this guy, Fishman? Yeah. Well, there's a great story. I don't know how true it is, but there was a great story that he had an interview with George because okay. he was so young. Uh, should he be at camp? And okay, this is the story that I got. I wasn't there, so I don't know how true it is. But the story I got is that he. After this whole interview to, to see if he's mature enough to be at camp, he said, so, Mr. Marcus, what do you do at the camp? <laughs> <laughs> Ernest, so was- young man. Yeah, that's good. That's good. If I ever see you slacking off, Lasky, that's what I'm going to I'm going to walk up to you and be like, so, what do you do at this camp? <laughs> it's very cute. <laughs> Were you channeling office space there, maybe? No. What is it that what you do? <laughs> the two bobs. You know the other two bobs. Don't ever bring the two bobs into the game. Let's see. Is it my turn? I'll ask one of my stock questions. Well, you've already talked about the flagpole, but other than that, is there a particular specific place in camp that you cherish? There are two. The cool. waterfront, when it used to have the fence, I used to just late at night just go to the fence and just sort of lean on it and just stare into the water. It was oh. just so beautiful, and yeah. the lights from the different people's homes shining into the water was just really beautiful. And the chapel, whether you are truly saying all the prayers or not, just to sort of cherish the beauty of the area and to value all the beautiful things that we're given in that area and to see the water and the beautiful trees with the sun and shining. It's just really beautiful. Those are awesome answers. And now I'm going to totally uh, uh, ruin the moment by telling the following story because it involves, I'm going to tell a relatively (laughs) standard podcast. Ruining the moment. Let's ruin the moment. Let's tear it all down. No, but it's kind of a funny story and it's, relatively uh, clean, as they say, but it does involve bending the fraternization rules at Camp Tell Noir. So there when you're a count, no when <laughs> no, there is no fraternization at Camp Tell Noir. No sliding and no fraternization. Yeah, no sliding. No sliding. So, no, there was a particular counselor who had his eyes on a particular lady counselor, and love was in the air, and they went for a walk, and it's like, did you kiss her? And he was like, yeah, I'm watering down the story a little bit, but <laughs> did you kiss her? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. And it's like, where, where were you? And I we walked up to the chapel and we said well what that's weird why did you walk up to the chapel and he's like now every time i have to sit in services i can look over there and say that's where i kissed him so it's pretty pretty uh pretty creative stroke on his part i thought that's great we're looking to uh <laughs> raise a little bit more money for the chapel so if he uh you know i that thought person. it was a sweet romantic story come on he kissed her on the cheek, all right? That's, was, that's the tell no version of the story. <laughs> and we're sticking to that story. Sharon, there's uh, there's lingo. There's words that we only use at camp oh, that are yeah. only tell no words. Oh. What's your favorite tell no lingo? Oh, goodness. Oh, oh, dear. Oh, I even made that page up in one of the past camp handbooks. But it's hard to come up with them when you're it on the spot. It is. Cock a swim. Oh, my goodness. Does that make the list? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, Mine's chench. What? Oh, the chench. What's the chench? I don't know what that is. That's the chairs at the end of the tables oh, okay. are actually a bench. Right. So we call them a chench. Interesting. But we used to have chairs. Yeah, uh, right, at the end of the table. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, but they kept getting a little bit on the broken side because everybody wanted the chair. So they decided, well, let's get rid of the chairs and just make it a smaller bench. So it, it's a chench. It was- <laughs> It was always <laughs> not quite a bench. It's not quite a chair. chair no. It's a chench. It's a chair. I have a bad back. I can no longer sit on a bench. Like or I have to twist my body in a week. So, and I blame Tel Noah for all those years sitting on benches. No, I don't really. I love but, it because chenches are. It's both a noun and a verb. It's kind of like a spork. It's well, you can't spork as a verb. Oh, how do you chench as a verb? Chench would be like if I were to like if Sharon and I were going to sit together at lunch, oh. and we were to share the chench, we'd be chenching. Oh, the. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> Which is a much cleaner story than your chapel story. My, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'm still stuck on one some of those words. Yeah, that I used to put down. There was so Hakshivu. 
Hakshivu. We now have a PA system, and uh, we call it the Hakshivu. Hakshivu means, uh, like, listen up in Hebrew. Okay. That's a good one. I'm trying to think of it's. It's not even so much lingo like dance in the dell is a right, phrase, right, 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 right. but that's a thing, right, more right, like a thing. Like right. uh, I don't know. I think of like schmutz as a camp tunnel <laughs> for some reason. Schmutz, but the, I used to do the schmutz yeah. a dicky. Oh, okay. What was that? Yeah. Schmutz a dicky was when you're trying to do cleanup. <gasps> oh, okay. And, and so. they, they got all these little fuzzy things all over the, the the floor, which is really just a lot of dust. But it's schmutz a dicky, and also all the stuff the kids would try to hide under their blankets. Instead of putting it away. That's like much it. Yeah, See, like, what I love is that there's like tell Noah lingo, lingo and then there's Lasky lingo, which is like, <laughs> Fefe. Well, oh, you... my, that's one of my favorites. I use that everywhere. Explain Fefe. Fefe is when something is really disgusting. Like you, use it, it seems in to a be a, th- a theme developing here. Because <laughs> next I'm going to ask you about Lost and Found, which is another, which oh. is another one of your things. Maybe well, you still do that. <laughs> a sentence commonly used by Lasky goes the following. Steve Cohenberg, we have your towel. It is fefe. <laughs> it's very, it's it is fe- very fefe. It's fefe, which means it's gross. It's really gross. <laughs> it's really fefe. The, the the lost and found table we used to have. Right. Okay. In between the boys' head and the girls' head cabins, there used to be a white table. Right. And on some days, it yeah. was used to give out the fruit. Right. If there was a fruit snack. Mm-hmm. When it wasn't a fruit snack, it was, let's put the lost and found all on that table. So I came up with this brilliant idea. Notice the emphasis on brilliant. Brilliant, I'm sure, yeah. That if we got rid of the table, there would not be any lost and found. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how that works. Strangely, kids still lost stuff and left stuff on the I'll just get rid of my laundry room at home and we'll be fine. But there was no lost and found in between the boy's head and the girl's head. Well, you used to do this thing where like after a meal, it would be like... I forget what uh, Larry might have called it, like Sharon's yard sale or something. And you would, would s- yeah, sell it. Right. You would hold the stuff up and be like, claim this thing. And right. and somehow it's like three dozen towels and not one kid claims them. It's no. like, no, not mine, not mine. Because kids. Sometimes they'll come up at the end, though. You right. Know, just to see it because they didn't want to get embarrassed. You okay. have to show it. Exactly. I but have this like. I remember that table. Sorry for him. I remember the table because inevitably there'd be a big pile of clothes and then it would rain and, then, and now it's like nobody wants it right, it's all right. mildewy it's and everything it's really, yeah. it's really I have this scary vision of Sharon's basement and having like lost and found from 49 <laughs> years of She's like I'm going to hold on to this one because I'm sure I'll run into uh, Sarah <laughs> well, Rosenstein <laughs> there are no names on things that was right. the real problem or the oh, yeah, socks no. the one sock that had mud all over it yeah oh yeah that, that was Fefe too well that was by far our best version of it was fantastic flagpole that was the yeah. best flagpole that we've ever done yes. congratulations oh thank you oh we have some nice parting gifts for you oh. no we don't <laughs> it's lost and found from 1963 <laughs> yeah. yeah we have Jeremy Rosenblum's towel from bunk four in 1989 <laughs> and a copy of the videotape of all the times that we've done Fiddler on the Roof okay. yeah. I, I gave you the uh, I think somebody made a copy of the original Running Man the original footage. Running Man. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's in oh, your possession. Oh, wow. Yep. That is yeah. it's in the vault. incredible. It's wow. in, it's in the Telnor vault. It'll <laughs> become available again in 20 years. Wow. So, yeah. That is a treasure. Yes. Yeah. No, first of all, that would be amazing. Like, could you imagine if we were like, they found like Tupac's original writings and they found <laughs> right. like John Lennon's original, like if we could find George's like notes from the summers. Yeah. That would be pretty amazing. Well, in the Running Man video, so... Karen Kahn, who is now a, a titan of industry, she was one of the original employees of, of Google. You will remember her as Cam- Karen Lemelman, mm-hmm. little Karen Lemelman from Canton, Mass. Current camp parent. Current yes. camp parent. All right. Well, mm-hmm. shout out Lemel. <laughs> if we unearth that video footage, you can see her running for her life while uh, Waldo, uh, in oh. the video, Aqua Waldo, <laughs> chased her. And she, uh, in a panic, grabbed a kickboard and smashed him across the face and uh, survived. Amazing. All for fun. Wow. But yeah. So okay. there you go. All right. Well, we're going to bring this thing home. we got a few Let's more questions, it. Sharon. This is all about oh, again. Oh, I thought we were done with Flagpole. All right, go ahead. We're done with Flagpole. Oh, uh, we are done. Okay, but we're not good. done with Sharon Lasky. Good. Uh, Sharon Fox Lasky. Again, whole thing is about this idea of, of tradition mm-hmm. and enhancement, tradition and innovation. What are some of the things that you wish like we could bring back? What are some of the things that we don't do anymore that... Uh, you think back as traditions, and what are some of the things that are new that you you really love? Okay, things that I wish we peanut could bring butter. Back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think some of the trips that we we used to take. I 
We used to go to Rye Harbor. Oh, my God. I'm so and, glad you said that. Yeah. And, and, and it, it was really a magnificent trip. Describe there, Rye Harbor. It was an area in New Hampshire where there were rocks, and kids would just walk with the rocks, and then... So, but really big... <laughs> so for kids right rocks. now who are, like, totally into technology, oh, yeah. sell them on something that oh, rocks. Okay. <laughs> We're, we're talking not just like a bunch of rocks, like but the, the rocks. These are huge rocks, right? Uh, maybe that was obvious. In the ocean, and yeah. so and you, there were these very large bodies of masses of rocks, <laughs> masses of rocks, right? That you could walk upon, right? And then you could sit and just talk for right. an hour or so, and. Or just keep strolling, and then the maintenance and uh, kitchen staff would join us, and they had these huge grills and made dinner, and we had our dinner outside, and then frisbees were flying through the air, and yeah. people just played on the the grassy area, and it was just so relaxing. And you would think that would be something that only the older kids would enjoy, because yeah. it's just a bunch of... But kids of all ages just loved it. It was picturesque. It was... So the rocks were formed... Into wow, you know what? See, it's actually it hard, hard to describe. It is hard to describe. It's like I want to say a pier, but it's not a it's not a no. pier like for boats. It was if you picture like a, a peninsula, a very small, however, but a peninsula sort of jutting out into the water, made out of these huge rocks, and like park like also. Yeah, sort of, oh, of course. Yeah, and then it yeah it was a park that had clearly been built up a little bit, and so it was just a cool hangout spot. And I remember it because it was and it was like always like. You know who you're going to hang out on the rock with, and you, See, you know, kids, hang yeah, out on the rocks. yeah, you basically <laughs> hung out on a rock and talked. But for some reason, it was really cool. And then, of course, if you were an older kid, you wanted to be the boys and girls sitting on a rock together and getting to know each other. And nothing more, Sharon. Don't nothing, worry. Right? It nothing was more. very. It was, it was, and everybody yeah. was everywhere. So the councils were out there as well, and so there was a lot of coverage, and just people just relaxed together as a camp in a different location. And then you'd have a few adventurous kids that would be jumping a little bit from rock to rock or kind of exploring like below the rocks or something. It was all good. I also remember, of course, because I was in charge. You didn't want to be the guy in charge of bringing all that barbecue equipment to the park. Everyone else enjoyed the park, but inevitably you would fill, like I was driving a van filled with charcoal, huge bags of charcoal, like, and these huge, like, gallon drums, open gallon drums that served as the actual barbecue pit. But then also, like, a big bucket full of, like, ice and soda, which would inevitably spill at some point, and, and there's, there's water throughout the van. It was, and then you still have to figure out how to, to light the uh, coals, which I always did. We always got yep. the kids the burgers. So Kosher meat. Bring back the rocks. Got it. Yeah, Rye that, Harbor. That, and that one's hard because, the, because our days off now start at dinner time. Yeah, that, that's, that's, I, I that's think the difficult. harder part is going to be selling this to everybody else. Well, there must have been some other reason why camp stopped going to Rye Harbor. Like, just, I don't know. I, I think it's the day off. I, I really do. Oh, because the councilors that, yeah, take the off at a certain right. hour. And, okay. Right. Okay. So I would love to bring that back, though. It's really, it was really a, a lovely sort of day off for everybody. And it was a really nice trip. Let's see. Something else. Oh, this was hard. We used to have a competition. The whole summer. I don't know, you know, exactly how they did that, but kids unfortunately would leave not knowing which team won. And then we did we did the intramurals. Yeah, well, um, we did. In, in, well, in my career, yeah. <laughs> starting in you know eighty one, we had in, in, intramurals first uh, half of the right. summer, and the second half was competition, which you now call color war or colored niceties or what do you call it now you do call it color war right color war yeah Shared. so this was the time the one of our first podcast uh recordings uh yaz and carrie were um d- quite disappointed that the uh tear your head off uh intensity of the color war that they yes. remember by the way it? that podcast never aired Ephraim. that's in the lost tapes <laughs> so i'll have to break it out sometime. they feel like we've gotten uh two pc in our color war <laughs> Well, yeah. There was something cool about calling it competition because every other camp called it color war. We called it competition. competition. But, yeah, we um, did call it competition. We and had some interesting breaks. For the, the competition. Which just happens to remind me of one of the more clever openings of competition was when someone declared it was like the Maccabea Day. And, and that required us to go to the chapel for a brief service with Irv to commemorate Maccabea Day. And Irv, to his credit, ever the ham 
stone-faced the whole time, playing the role, not letting on that Maccabea Day didn't actually exist. <laughs> and so they, the CITs unfurled this banner, which looked like Hebrew letters, but then when they turned it around, it said competition. Oh, Pretty cool, right? That is very cool. Yeah. That, that is very cool. We could go on about color war for, for, for <laughs> so, and competition. So yeah. just... And uh, Sharon, this is something that is very uh, special to me that I'm just thrilled about. But again, being at camp for 49 years, you've had lots and lots of different roles. But for the last handful of years, two or three years, you've had a different role uh, at camp. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So our support staff, I'm lucky enough to work with the young men and women that come from many different countries around the world. And we really are trying to make an effort for them to really feel a part of our community and to have the kids and counselors realize how wonderful the support staff is and how and how they are a part of who we are. They're hardworking people, and I get to uh, help them try to figure out their days off. I have uh, found all sorts of really neat places for them to go and to give them the support that they need. The the counselors who are of similar ages have boys head, girls head, people that they can go to if they're experiencing some sort of situation. And our support staff just sort of had the people they were working with and that's it. And there's nobody really to talk to. So I have taken that role and that's cool. they've really made a difference. I talked to Mary, who was uh, head of sort of the housekeeping area, and I talked to uh, Rob, who was uh, he, he had worked at the camp and grew up at the camp mm-hmm. and had been part of maintenance, and I spoke to him for a long while uh, to see ways that we could make them make the whole group feel more of a part. We have a staff meeting every week with the support staff and I mm-hmm. get together and we're trying to do some of the same things that the council's experience. So we have people that are hard workers for the week and they get a certificate and uh, there are little things that they win through the week. And so I've been, it's a great idea. I've been having a really good time. With so that we've one. come a long way since 1984 when one of the maintenance guys made off with like all the money in the canteen and oh. almost the entire kitchen staff got fired for various infractions. <laughs> but I, I do remember, you remember that. that? I, yeah. I do because that was a Shabbat and, oh, and, and, yeah. and he, the young man, knew that the safe was open and oh, took, took all the money. Those were the years that the kids would bring spending money. And it was the very beginning of the camp, and it, all, all their money was in little envelopes. That's right. And um, it was put into the safe, and then it left the safe. Yeah, it was. I was a CIT at the time, and I remember mm-hmm. our counselors told us. We were CIT, so we were, if memory serves, allowed to have whatever money we yeah. wanted. But they said hey, guys, if you don't want to keep cash in the bunk, we'll put, just like we do with the campers, we'll put it in the safe for you. And then a few days later, we were, like, asking for our money, and they're like, uh, we can't get it yet. And we were like, what the hell's going on? And then later we found out. But culturally, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but the the, the support staff kind of went through ebbs and flows. And, and some years they were just really – they didn't feel part of the camp. They And they just – weren't and sometimes it, it was just I don't know this is might sound mean or elitist or something but sometimes there were entire kitchen staffs which you just looked at them and they're like they're blue collar guys and they don't look at us that way and then there were other years where it kind of ebbed and flowed a different way and but it sounds like you're doing things now that you never weren't really done in the past to incorporate them into the Correct. everyday they, they, yeah. these are young people that have uh, engineer working toward engineering degrees and things with political science and we also have now the staff has one night a week they're there they can't sign out that sounds terrible but it's a time <laughs> for everybody to sort of meet together and uh, to get to know one another years ago. That's one of the things I'd love to bring back. We used to have snack every night, and, and counselors Counselor would just... snack, yeah. Yeah, we just used to hang out, and that's what we do on Tuesday night now, and uh, the support staff is there, and so it allows the staffs to really sort of talk to one another. And so there's sort of more of a camaraderie, which is really nice. I love that. Yeah, I, I have these memories of... Uh, you got to stop bringing up these stories that I keep... <laughs> prattling on I've tried and on. to like segue to end this thing like 10 minutes ago. I, all right, we'll, we'll get there. But I got to tell this really quick funny story about, I don't know how funny it is, but uh, about counselor snack. You would have these little hangout moments 
which allowed you to kind of maybe interact with people you wouldn't normally. I was hanging out at Counselor's Snack once. It was like, they were always leftovers, right? But, but, but they were good leftovers, like from that day. And it was meatballs. And so uh, my buddy Lance and I, he was like my partner in crime, of course. Lance. You remember Lance Levy? Mm-hmm. And we just saw people getting up to get their meatballs. And Lance starts going, meatballs, get your meatballs. <laughs> and within a few minutes, we had this whole song. And then we were like, and then Bernie comes over, of course, telling them our icon, Bernie Goldberg. He's sitting with us. And we go, hey, Bernie, every time somebody goes out for the meatballs, sing this meatball song, right? <laughs> and we're, we're like, it's so immature, right? But we, we're just having fun. And Bernie goes, that's stupid. I'm not doing it. And we're like, meatballs. It, it, after a few minutes, you hear Bernie going, uh, meatballs, <laughs> eat your meatballs, and and just little funny moments like that because yeah, counselor snack. So I, that isn't done so much anymore. No, I guess. Yeah. no, yeah. and I miss that's something yeah. I would love to bring back. Because the counselors they love to go out at night and burn off a little steam, or whatever mm-hmm. they do. But but the, you know they're there to hang out with each other. So that it, I think it's a good idea to to create and reasons for them to stay in because they're not going to want to go out every night anyway. Right. You need your rest, right? right. We had a count. We had a. It was just for the boys but we had a basketball league one year i remember danny marcus started it up i remember the basketball yep yeah but so it's cool that so i'd also bring back the plays we used to have council plays oh you don't do that anymore oh no and so do you remember any notable council plays or have you already mentioned them um we did well we did several we did hair Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh the PG version of hair. Yeah, we did. We did Jesus Christ Superstar, but we didn't call it that. <laughs> I think we called it Rejoice. I say, unusual we, choice for and, a Jewish Yeah, camp, we, we yes. took on a few of the songs. That well, we you can only do. You, listen, you can only do Fiddler in the Roof yeah. so many times. We did, we did. Let's see. West Side Story. Irv Irv was uh, one of the Irv participated of in that. We did a few like like wait until dark. Okay. Um, wow. So yeah, we did a, a lot of different. Um, I remember plays. Allison Sage, Allison Label at mm-hmm. the time doing uh, Cabaret. She had the lead in Cabaret, yeah, which yeah. was excellent. And I got was able to get redemption being in the uh, camp, the council play, because as a CIT, I was denied a speaking role in Greece, <laughs> which was like my favorite movie slash play of all time. Counselor uh, play comes along, and I was not to be denied, so I was uh, Kinnicky in ah, Greece as a there counselor. You go. There you go. Which allowed me to drive Jeff Waldman's convertible cabriolet onto the stage through the back door. Oh, Who allowed us to do that? I don't know, but we did it. That oh. was Grease Lightning. <laughs> All right, and Ephraim just left and just returned. <laughs> He's had enough of us. This is what I do during meetings, too. I was just like, <laughs> you guys keep talking. Sharon Lasky, you are a legend. No. You no are the doubt. constant at Camp Telnoir. Uh, I, I remember that you, just like your story, where you fell in love with camp because you came in and someone put the effort to put the bed in the middle of the bunk. Uh, metaphorically, you were that for me. Oh you were the God. first person who helped me fall in love with Telnar. Oh, thank and, you. And um, so grateful oh. for everything that you've ever done, but also for joining us tonight. You're the best. We thank love you. you. And uh, if you want to see Sharon, please come and visit her at camp this summer. Mm-hmm. She'll be hanging out and can't wait to show you around. Thank you. I'm going to cry. Oh, no, I love you too, Sharon. You know how much you. I love you. Love you are you. Camp Telnar. <laughs> And we love Camp Telnar, and we love you. Don't worry, Fry, I'm not going to forget to thank our sponsor this time. Northern Lights <laughs> Entertainment. NorthernLightsEntertainment.com is the place where you find them for all of your entertainment needs. When it comes to bar mitzvahs or really any extravaganza that you want to throw, it will be an absolute bash if you get in touch with our good friends at Northern Lights. Sponsor of the show, and we couldn't thank them more. They've rocked Telnor. They will rock your party as well. Thanks for listening to 10 for 2, the Camp Tell Knower podcast. Make sure to share this podcast with a friend or a bunkmate. Who was your favorite counselor when you were in bunk 18A? Share with them. That person wants to hear this stuff, wants to hear all the great stories Sharon Fox has to tell, of course. And you can subscribe on iTunes. Please do that. All past episodes of 10 for 2 can be found at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. By the way, we produce podcasts here out of our Westwood studios. If you'd like a podcast of your own, check us out, pod617.com. On behalf of Ephraim Udowitz, the great Sharon Fox, and me, I'm David Yaz, just another guy who went to tell nowhere, but I love it so much. I'll do this podcast forever if they let me. Thanks, and see you next time on 10 for 2.